All right. Praise God on this wonderful morning today. And before we get into the message, a couple of things that I just wanted to wanted to share to kind of outline how God, you know, how, how God works. So this, the message that I have today wasn't one that I had originally planned uh, to prepare or one that I was planning on giving until some things that I heard last week, you know. And it's amazing how God works because the message that I had already prepared for this week, yet last week listening to messages and praying and reading my Bible, God took me in a completely different direction. And even to this morning, up to this morning, being able to get confirmation about what we need to do and what it is that he wanted me to talk about this morning aligns with what the, the introduction that Pastor gave today about us being serious. Okay, serious with God. So I hope that you've got your spiritual workout clothes on this morning because we're going to work up a nice spiritual sweat, so to speak. Um, there's going to be some things here that really are going to open our eyes into uh, how we follow God. And, and so that when we go home and that we're reflecting on this on this message and we're reflecting on these words, that we really take a step back and actually see, are we actually following God and are we doing God's will? One of the things that we've been doing over the last several weeks as a as a family, as we go to the, these basketball games uh, on Saturdays that are done or run by a church league because my daughter and my niece are on the basketball team. And they actually for the first time to get to play together. And anyone that knows me knows that I love to watch people because people are fascinating to me. Um, you know, for several years, my sister and I would go out on Christmas Eve and do our Christmas shopping. And it's not that beca- it's not that we enjoy the rush of buying things at the last minute because it wasn't like that. But it was just we had a good time together and we knew what we were getting. But we were watching as other people were just kind of scrambling around and trying to figure out what are they going to get at the last minute. Eyes are popping out of their heads. And the time of the season when it's supposed to be so holy, it's supposed to be so much joy, the joy does not come out as people are, are actually going out there shopping. And like never, like, and then it never fails, especially in the toy section. You can see a series of parents in the same toy section. And if you watch their heads carefully, you see they were all eyeing the same exact toy, but each one is hesitant to see who's going to actually reach for it first because there's only two of them left and there's six parents that want the toy. And so you can sit there, you sit there and you watch them and their bodies will be turned and they're just kind of looking this way and they'll shift their heads like they're looking at something else. But really, they're looking at that toy because they just want to reach out and they and they want to grab it. And, you know, when the first one goes after it, everybody else is going to go after it. Fights start to break out. People get arrested and everybody forgets that the time of the year of Christmas is supposed to be one of joy. OK, so one of the things that I do at these basketball games is. When the, when the games are, or when the game isn't in the middle of being played, you know, so either it's halftime or beforehand, um, I just kind of like to watch and just see, see what are the parents doing, you know, see how are the kids behaving um, that the parents have there. And because this is a league that's run by several churches, there's always a message about God that, that comes along with that. And so when that message is being talked about, I also look at the parents and I just kind of look around and I just watch to see who's listening, who's messing around on their phone. Which kids are playing with toys? There's always a prayer that happens also during halftime. And I know that not everyone is, is, is listening to that prayer because I have a hard time trying to tune my ears into hearing it because of all the commotion that's going on. So before I close my eyes, I just kind of look to see who's actually getting involved. Who's actually listening to what's being said? Who's actually praying or are you just there being a spectator? Well, as I was thinking about the original message that I had planned for today and the Holy Spirit took me to different direction, what he placed on my heart was that we do that in the body of Christ. 
A lot of times we stand on the outside and we just watch as everybody else is getting involved in God, as everyone else is having a victorious life, as everyone else is raising their hands and praying. And we want to have that deeper walk with God without actually going through the work that it takes to have that deeper walk with God. We stand there and we just say, oh, yeah, you know, that brother, sister, so-and-so, they overcome that major challenges. Man, I wish I had the spiritual strength to do that. Well, you could have that spiritual strength if you understood what it takes to get to that level of, with God. So the message, the title of today's message is going to be don't spectate, but participate, because God is calling us to start participating in the things of him and stop sitting around and watching everybody else get deeper relationships with him. But before we get into that, we're going to talk. We're going to look at what the Bible talks about in terms of serving God. So let's take a look at some familiar scriptures and let's turn to John chapter four. John chapter four, and we're going to just go to verse 23. But the hour is coming and now is underline that and now is when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth for the father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Okay, and if you don't have all the verses 23 and 24 highlighted, um, underline, highlight, bracket, the whole nine, put stars, asterisks, whatever you like around that to really, really call that scripture out there. Because you notice something that it says worship in spirit and in truth. To get to a deep walk with God, it's about doing it in spirit and in truth. It's not about just raising your hands on a Sunday and uttering some words, but it's about what's deep down in your heart as you're doing praise and worship. What are you doing outside of church? Are you actually opening your Bible? Are you reading? Are you praying? Are you studying the word? Or are you just going to say Sunday is good enough for me to go to church? It's enough for me just to sit in church for a couple hours out of out of a week to read my Bible just for the short time that that we're actually in church to raise my hands and pray or quote unquote pray. Because just because you're mouthing words to a song does not necessarily mean that you're praying. God knows your heart. So you can stand up there and you can read the words that are up on the screen. You can you can you can say them so loud that everybody can hear you. But if it's not if you're not worshiping in spirit and in truth, it doesn't mean anything. You're just going through the motions. You're playing church and God is looking for it. You can see in verse 23, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth. That's what God is looking for. God is looking for us to worship him and to serve him in spirit and in truth. Turn to Revelation chapter three. Revelation chapter three, and that's a really good. We're not going to go through that that whole um, that whole chapter there, um, but there are some some really good things that I encourage you to to read on your own time and and to study on your own time. But we're going to start in verse fourteen. Okay. Revelation three verse fourteen. Okay. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the Amen. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. 
I wish you were hot or cold. So then because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Underline all of verse 16 if you don't have it already underlined. So then because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of your mouth. Okay, out of my mouth. Too many times we take a lukewarm stance when it comes to God and we don't even realize it. Okay, and what that can look like is, as I talked about earlier, is simply reading your Bible just on Sunday, just praying on Sunday and doing all the quote unquote godly activities on Sunday as it relates to worshiping God, reading the Bible and those things. But the reason why or if the reason why you're coming to church on Sunday is because that is the so-called popular thing to do as a Christian or that's the popular thing to do in your family, or you're going to a church because everybody you know attends that church, and you're not actually going because you want to hear from God and you want to learn about him, then you are doing it from a lukewarm perspective. Being lukewarm for for God means that I am going to go to God and I'm going to use, quote-unquote, use the things of God when it's convenient for me. That's being lukewarm. And what God is saying is if that's the role you're going to play, if that out of all the things that I have done for you, if that's what you're going to do to me, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Now, I'm not going to get, you know, try not to get too graphic when we talk about vomit or anything like that. But there's a there's a reason why that word is being used there. That is a violent activity of your body to rid something out that doesn't belong there. This is an active stance that God is saying is that if you're going to be that way, I'm actively going to. Remove you out of out away from me. This is different than you choosing to walk away from God where you're where you're out of his where you're out of his covering because you slipped up and made a mistake. What God is saying is if you're going to be lukewarm to me, to lukewarm to me, I'm going to take action and I'm going to remove you from my presence because I wish you were either hot or cold. OK, so we have to learn to be hot for God, not being lukewarm, not being not being cold, because the time is, as we saw in, in the previous scripture there in John, the time is now for us to actually worship God in spirit and in truth, serve God in all things that we do, not just some things, not just being not just going to God when things are when things are convenient. And you've heard you've heard this said before that if you go to God for little things, it makes it so much easier to go to him for the hard things. OK, when you're drowning on the water, so to speak, and we've all been there, I don't care how holy you are. You didn't get to that deep relationship with God by just by walking on going through surface problems. At some point, you go through something that is just so major that, that you, you, you get to this, this this burning prayer, this burning fire to God where you just call out to him like you've never called out to him before. And then he brings you through that and you say, Oh, my gosh, I didn't realize how powerful my God actually is. And we've all been there. OK, we know God is powerful, but it's one thing to know it. And then it's another thing to see it happen in your life. So you cannot just go to God when things are going really bad. You have to go to him for all things. OK, I've gone to God for so many little things, so many minuscule things that I can't even keep track. But it just makes it that much easier to know that when something bad happens in my life, after I get over that initial shock, I know, wait, wait a second, time out. God delivered me from this little situation here and this little one here and this little one here and this little one. Oh, and by the way, that really big one here, he'll deliver me from this one as well. And what you do is you start to show God that, Lord, I want to be a part of you through every aspect of my life. I want you involved in every part of my life, not just when things are going really bad and I'm down to my and, and the bottom has fallen out for me. OK, so it's about worshiping God and serving God in spirit and in truth. Today, I'm going to give you a few things that you can do. To become a participant in the things of God so that we're not just standing by as spectators, that we're not just standing on the outside looking in and watching everybody else serving God. One of the things that you can do is you can learn to serve God with the gifts that he's given you. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
1 Corinthians chapter 12. We saw in John and in Revelations about God looking for people to worship him in spirit and in truth. And you saw in Revelation what God said to the lukewarm church. If you had a study Bible there and we were looking at Revelation 14, you might see a heading that says uh, message to the lukewarm church. And so I recommend on your own time to read all of those scriptures there in Revelation um, in Revelation 3, because it really talks about the different types of churches and the, the, the type of judgment, if you will, that God is going to pour out if you're, if you're a lukewarm church, if you're a church that's not following him, and then if you're a faithful church. So it's really, really important for us as Christians to understand how God thinks of, uh, how God thinks of us in that type of setting. Okay, so 1 Corinthians chapter 12, one way that we can become participants with the things of God is to use our gifts that God has given us to serve him. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members... But all the members are but all the members are of that one body being many are one body. So also is Christ for by one spirit, underlying one spirit for by one spirit. We were all baptized into one body, underlying one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free and have all been made to drink into one spirit, underlying one spirit. For, in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not of I am not of a hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? So if you didn't, if your foot said to your hand that, hey, I'm not a hand. So so therefore, I'm not part of the body. Are you really not part of the body? No, your foot is part of your body. Okay. and if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, (laughs) this one always makes me laugh. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? Okay, and I'm going to stop there for a second because you could imagine you can get the visual of an eye floating down the street as somebody's body, right? How would that eye actually be able to hear and how would that eye actually be able to get down the street if it doesn't have any feet or it doesn't have any hands? It's probably be rolling along the way down the street there, which means that it's not going to be able to see because its vision is going to be doing one of these things over and over and over again. So there's a reason why we have different parts of the body, because even though they're separate parts, they all work together as one. The big toe, for example, is there for balance. Never realized how important a big toe is until one day I injured myself going out on a run. I sprained my toe. And it wasn't, the, the, you know, to the point where I couldn't walk, but I couldn't do something as simple as a push-up. I couldn't do something as simple as get on my tippy toes to see over something. And I definitely wasn't able to go out and even do a light jog anymore just because of that little pain in that big toe. I desperately tried to do some planks and tried to do some push-ups, and I just couldn't get my foot positioned the right way, all because of that big toe. Now... I could have said that, oh, the big toe is not part of the body. It's, it's down there covered in my foot somewhere, and it's not, it's not that big of a deal. But, boy, I tell you, when I had that pain shoot up my leg when I was actually stepping on my foot, I got a quick reminder that that big toe is part of the body, okay? So there's a reason why we have all of these different members, and we're going to continue on here, but we have all these different members that are still part of one body. Verse 18, but now God has set the members, each, uh, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. Underline that. Just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again, to, uh, uh, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. 
So what this is really saying here is that God has put together the physical body for a reason. Each part has a different purpose of it. And if we all are Christians, so if you are saved, then you are a Christian. And that means that you are part of the body of Christ, which then also means what? That means that you have a role to play in the body of Christ. Okay, so we can't just sit around anymore and just say, yeah, I'm a Christian. My only role is just simply going to be I'm just going to read. I'm going to go to church every every now and then. Or maybe I'll attend church on all those major holidays. But outside of Sunday activities, eh, there's no need for me to read the Bible anymore. There's no reason for me to pray when when in reality of it is, is that God has a purpose for you. You have a role that you play in the spirit of Christ or in the in the body of Christ. And it's up to us to seek God and find out what is it, what that role is that he wants us to play. And in, in, when it comes to serving him, we can't just sit around and just let everybody else and let the world pass us by, so to speak, um, by just saying, sitting back and saying, I'm not going to do any more than what I'm doing. I'm not going to put the work in to get that deep relationship with God. I'm not going to put that work in to get the, the, the level of victory that I know that I want to have in my life. It always makes me laugh when I, when I hear conversations when, and I'm not getting political, but if you look at the political arena, this conversation has been going on for I don't know how many years, but there's always these conversations about what to do with people that make a certain amount of money. And how, oh, they should take that money and they should just give it, give it to, to people that don't have, not from the perspective of them um, doing like God suggests us to do to be able to, to share it with, with, with those that are less fortunate, but as if, as if they should be punished because of the fact that they're making a certain amount of money. And they say, oh, well, we should give it to give everyone else. But the reality a lot of times is that the people that don't necessarily have that much may not want to put the work in to get to that place. OK, so this is not about God does not expect us to just sit on our hands and knees or, or sit, sit on our hands and just or, or, or sleep all day and, and expect that we are going to, to 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 have this major these major victories in our lives that we're going to have the, bear much fruit and more fruit and plenty of fruit and all of those things. We have to actually do some work. We can't just sit back and let things happen. A lot of times you'll hear people say, oh, just let it happen. Just let it happen. That's not how it works. The only time you should be sitting back and doing nothing is when God says, be still and know that I am God. When he steps back and says, I don't need you to do anything with that. You just sit there and wait and watch me work. That's the only time that you don't do anything. But when we're going to God, we should be asking God, Lord, what should I be doing in this situation? And let him point, let him order our steps. Okay. Now, oh, I don't even know what verse I left off. Uh, verse 22 again. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unrepresentable parts have a greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given, having given greater honor to that, parts which, that part which lacks it. That there should be no schism in the body, but underline this, but that the members should uh, should have the same care for one another. Verse 26. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are of the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second uh, prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, uh, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? 
But earnestly, underline this, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you, uh, show you a more excellent way. Okay? So what this is just basically saying here is that God has appointed different people, even in the, in the, in the church, from a, um, an organizational structure to, to carry out different things as God appoints them. All right? So, we, so again, everyone in the body of Christ has a role to play and has something to fulfill more than usually what we're, what we're already doing. If you just sit back and just say, hey, I'm just going to go through this life, God is saying, no, I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for people to worship me and serve me in the spirit and in truth. And therefore, what we should be doing is we should be looking to get actively involved in, in God's ministry. So using your God, your, the gifts that God has given you to serve him, one of the things that you can do is you can seek ways to serve him in your local church. If you're attending church services somewhere regularly, there's nothing wrong with, with, with seeking out service in the church. OK, going to the pastor. And, hey, how, how can I serve God? How can I help? As we can see here that there is no member, no matter how small it is in the body, there is no member that is important. In, uh, that's not important in God's eye. OK, so even if you were called, even if you went to your church and, and, and the pastor said, you know, we need somebody to, to scrub the bathroom. You'd be the, bath, the best bathroom scrubber ever because you're not doing it for man. You're doing it for God. And if you can show God that, Lord, I'm going to make this toilet the most cleanest toilet I've ever seen. This bathroom is going to be the most polished bathroom. It's going to have the best smell ever. God can look at that and he'll smile and say, OK, because I'm glad you're doing that because I've got something lined up for you down the road. And by you taking this first step. That shows me that you might be ready for this. So then I'm going to appoint you the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And then next thing you know, God has given you greater responsibilities. OK, so looking for ways to serve in your church is 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 a good way to be able to use God's gifts. Too many times we look for glamorous things to do when it comes down to the to to to, to serving God. We look for the things where people are going to be looking at us and saying, oh, my God. I remember that person started that church way, way back then. And let me tell you what they went through. Or this person, you know, you know how much of a tie that they gave to that church? You see their name on that wall over there? This is the great things that they've done in the community. We look a lot for that and we don't take a step back and say, Lord, what's the simplest way that I can serve you? Okay. How do I use my gifts that you've also given me to serve you? Now, what that means is that we are all born with um, a skill set that you can't learn, that you can't teach, that you don't have to necessarily polish or study or anything like that. There's things that we can naturally do. We should also be taking those things and finding out from God, how can I use my skills to actually serve you? If you're, if you're a person that has a lot of patience, working with kids is usually not a bad area to, to, to get into because working with kids requires a lot of patience, especially if they're little. If you have great customer service skills, one thing that you can do in your in your church is look to serve as an usher or a greeter so that you can make people feel welcome when they come into the ministry. Someone should not ever walk into a church and feel like that they don't belong because nobody greeted them and no one spoke to them. OK, so asking God, Lord, how do I use my 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 gifts that you have given me to serve you is a great way to be able to get involved in the things of God. Luke sixteen ten, and we don't we won't go there now. But Luke 16 says, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is also unjust and is, is unjust also in much. So we should be serving. We should be looking for various ways to serve God and let him guide us as, as we're doing that. Don't worry about how glamorous it glamorous it'll be. Don't worry about the fame that you think might come from it. But worry more about how is God going to view you? How is God going to think of you if you when, when you are serving him? The next thing that we can do to help become a participant, and we're going to get really deep here, 
is don't let anyone or anything keep you from serving God. Don't let anyone or anything keep you from serving God. Turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And we're going to start in verse 6, and we're all familiar with this here. But I want to show you a couple of things about not letting anyone or anything keep you from serving God. Luke chapter 4, verse 6. And the devil said to him, so this is, this is when Jesus was out in the desert and the devil tempted him. And it was one of the temptations. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory for this has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whomever, whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan, for it is written. And underline this, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Okay. Keep a placeholder there, if you will, in Luke chapter 4. Okay. And let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. So we see Jesus has told the devil that you should only worship, that you will worship the Lord God and him only shall you serve. Okay. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse three. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down a stronghold, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. If you don't have all of verses three through six underlined or bracketed, highlight that, underline that, bracketed, because that's something key to understand is that even though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. OK, we don't war according to the flesh, which means we don't respond to things that the world is going to respond to or the way that they will. And understanding that. There are forces of darkness that we don't see and they drive people to do things. It's not the individual. OK, it's not the individual. I want you to keep that in mind because we're going to go to another quick, another scripture here really quick. Ephesians chapter six, verse 12. Ephesians chapter six, verse 12. Let everyone get there. You might be you might already know what that scripture is. We've this wouldn't be the first time we've been here. It's one of my favorite scriptures. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Okay, And then going on, it talks about putting on the whole the whole armor of God. The reason why I want to go through those three scriptures first was to show something. Okay. And I said it, said it a bit earlier, and that is that people do things, okay, but it's not them necessarily that, and let me, let me restate that. There's demonic influences that will cause people to do things that could keep you from serving God, okay? What Satan did in the, in the desert there to Jesus 
was he tried to get Jesus to turn his back on God and worship him. Because after all, as human beings, we are God's greatest creation. We are his ultimate creation. And we were born with the purpose of serving him and praising him and worshiping him. So Satan knew that if I can get Jesus to bow down before me, then I've won. I've just completely messed up God's entire plan because now I've got the son of God worshiping me. And I don't even want to imagine what could have happened if Jesus actually succumbed to that to that to that temptation. Thank God he knew who he was and he was walking in faith and knew the Holy Spirit power in him. And he knew the scripture because he hit the devil with scripture several times um, during those temptations and that he was able to stay strong. And the devil knew that, well, if I can get him, then I can get all of mankind. He did the same thing to Adam and Eve. He tempted Eve in the garden. Eve succumbed to that temptation. She then tempted Adam and Adam then listened. And look what happened. We got thrust into a world of sin. Okay, so it's important to understand that because anytime any force or any individual or a group of people are coming against you to try to keep you from serving God, understand that it's not the individual because our weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds so that we have to get we then have to engage into spiritual warfare. All right. We have to use the word of God to combat the to combat the enemy. We have to use the word of God to bind up any of those demons that might be influencing people in our lives that are trying to keep us from serving God. Now, there could be people in your inner circle. Okay, people in your inner circle, people that you care so much about that you love that could be keeping you from serving God. If you don't think that's true, again, go back in Genesis. Go back and look what happened with Adam and Eve. Look at how look how Eve, who was Adam's wife, kept him from actually listening to what God told them to do. God told told them, do not eat of this fruit. They walked in the garden with the Lord. But Satan was able to deceive Eve and Eve then pulled down Adam, which then threw all of mankind into sin. So understand something that there could be people in your inner circle, no matter how holy your inner circle might be. There could be people in your inner circle that are trying to keep you from serving God. And when that happens, that is because they themselves do not would desire to serve God. They are wanting to put their own needs before God's needs. They want to say, well, if you're going to go serve God, this is how it's going to have a negative impact on me. This is how it's going to strain our relationship. This is how it's going to ruin things in our lives. This is what it's going to do for us. And if you cared about me so much, why would you go ahead and do that? And it's important that we recognize that because God is calling for us to stop playing church. God is calling for us to open our eyes to what's happening. God is calling for us to understand what's happening in the, in the spirit well, in the spirit world and to be as watchmen on the wall to understand that these are attacks of the enemy are not happening by accident. These are happening on purpose. Satan knows exactly what he's doing. He knows the people that we he understands the same way God understands is that human interaction in life is necessary. Okay, you can't be secluded off somewhere by yourself in the middle of the woods and be able to have a a a meaning, loving uh, relationship type of life or have a, a meaningful life. If you're out somewhere by yourself, God understands that we need to have that humor interaction. That's one of the reasons why Jesus said forsake not to gather in together of yourselves, because along with that human interaction, you need spiritual interaction with people as well. You need to be able to interact with people that are also following God on, on a supernatural level that are walking on walking in the spirit so that you two can connect so that you can have a deep relationship with each other and you can hold each other accountable, if you will, to to to, to following God in leadership classes. They always talk about uh, accountability buddies. 
And these accountability buddies are people that you would find in that class that whatever topic is talked about in that class, that you guys would go meet separately on a regular basis or on some sort of schedule that you come up with so that you can hold each other accountable to following along with the things that you heard in that class. So you got to really, really, really look at who in your inner circle could actually be keeping you from falling away from God. What could that look like? That could be a spouse. All right. Adam and Eve. We saw that. That could be children. How could children pull you away from 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 God? It's not that they're doing it intentionally. But if you somehow open the door for that child to be uh, under some sort of demonic oppression, and it doesn't have to be major, major oppression, but if you open the door for that child to be to come under some sort of demonic oppression, the devil will use that child to keep you from coming to church. He will use that child to keep you from serving God. Okay, those things happen because the devil understands what role that child plays in your life. And he's not stupid. Okay, he knows what he's doing. He's been around. He's been around since the since the creation of man. He knows all of our habits. He knows the things that we hold near and dear to our heart. He has an inkling of what it is that God wants to do in our lives. And so he will stop at nothing to use the people around you to keep you from serving him. He has no shame in who he's going to use. He will use your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter, your cousin, your aunt, your boss, your co-workers. It doesn't matter who that individual is. The devil will stop at nothing to use people to keep you from serving God. So you cannot allow that to happen. I want everybody to stand up for a minute. It's important that we take that we take the things of, of God seriously. So if you've got anything in your hand, I want you to put it down, put it down on your chair or under your chair or something like that. We're going to we're going to use our hands for a minute here because. We need to put the devil on notice and we need to let God know that we are serious about serving him. We need to call out to God and let him know that we are ready to serve him no matter what. We need to let the devil and his demons know that when we come here on Sundays to hear God's word, that we're not doing this just to be doing it. We're doing it because we want a deeper relationship with God. And there's no demon in hell that's going to stop us from doing that. OK, so what I want you to do is I want you to close your eyes and I want you to raise your hands as high as you can. OK. And what we're going to do three times. When I get to the count of three, I just simply want you to shout. Lord, I'm ready to serve you. On the count of three, three times we're going to do it. One, two, three. Lord, I'm ready to serve you. Again. Lord, I'm ready to serve you. Again. Lord, I'm ready to serve you. Praise God. Praise God. Go ahead, be seated. Go ahead, sit down. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Okay. Now, if you really, really, really meant that in your heart, and you really, really meant that in your spirit, okay, you're making the devil flee. Okay. You're making him extremely nervous. You're making his demons extremely nervous. And what you're also doing is you're telling God that, Lord, I'm ready for you to use me. When you get home tonight, what I'd like you to do. Okay, and this is not like a mandatory assignment, but what I'd like you to do, something that you can do when you get home tonight. Is think about what you just said, telling Lord, I'm ready to serve you. And make a list of all the things that you need to do differently in your life so that when Monday morning comes around, you start walking in this new in this new servant. As a new servant, you start walking in the way God wants you to walk and you start giving those things to him and saying, Lord, here's the list of the things that I need to change in my life. I'm giving it to you. Help me this day moving forward to eliminate whatever it is that's keeping me from serving you. If that's what you truly, truly, truly meant in your heart, 
Spend some time with God to identify those things that are going to keep you from serving him. And then make a commitment when you wake up tomorrow morning. Make a commitment when you go to bed tonight that you're going to serve God in a way that you've never served him before. That you're going to let him use you in a way that you've never used him before. That, that he's used you before, okay? And I don't know why the Lord is keeping me on this topic. I didn't have this much really to, to spend on this topic, so I'm going to stay here as long as he, as long as he likes me to. When you're serving God, you start to look at what are the different dots that are out there so that you connect them. So what do I mean by that? A lot of times we just come to church on Sunday and we want to hear a word from God. Nothing wrong with that. I want to get a deeper walk with him. I want to learn some things that I've never learned before. That's why I come, that's why I come to church. I'm going to read some scriptures and get this Holy Spirit revelation that I've, ne- that I've never had before. But don't think... That this Sunday, this message you're hearing today is disconnected from anything that was preached six months ago, a year ago, six months from now, six years from now, because there are connections to everything. So part of the servant was serving God is understanding that when he's speaking to you, when he when you're praying, when you're reading, when you're coming to church, there's a reason for it. And that that particular day is not an isolated incident of anything else that's happening in your life or that may be coming down the pike. But after all, it is, abs- it is actually going to be preparation for something that's coming. It could be confirmation of something that you believe that you should be doing, but you're not quite sure. It could be a strong conviction of not of telling you to stop doing what you've already been doing. Because the word of God isn't always something that that is sweet. Uh, in Revelation, there, John was talking about how the, the angel told him to, to swallow up the book and how it was bitter in his mouth and bitter in his stomach. Sometimes the word of God is bitter in our lives because we get that conviction. He is telling us the things that we don't want to hear, but the thing but are the things that we need to hear. Amen. OK, so this is not just happening by accident. Nothing in life just happens by accident. Nothing, I'm not a believer in coincidences. At all. I'm a believer that God orchestrates everything that happens, including to the random explosions that happen on the sun, including to the to 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 the to the dying stars that happen in in the universe that that scientists always find. Everything happens for a reason. And God is in control. So we need to understand that things just aren't happening for the sake of happening. But things are happening in God's timing the way he's wanting them to, because there's a reason for it. Someone listening to this message, and I don't know who it is, needs to understand that God is calling out to you, that you've ignored him long enough, and that you need to make a conscious decision to follow him, to ignore the people that are in your inner circle trying to keep you from serving him. And that whatever that relationship is that you are so worried about losing by following God, that he is going to take care of it. I don't know who that is for, but God is calling out to someone in particular that you've got somebody in your inner circle that's keeping you from serving him. And you got to open your eyes and understand that that relationship is going to be just fine if you put him first. The last thing we're going to cover here is where you start to wind down about how do we become more of a participant in the things of God. So we've talked about the first one is using your gifts that God has given you to serve him. Not letting anyone or anything keep you from serving God. And the last one is going to be 
Stop taking the words of man as God's truth. Go to first John verse uh, verse. Go to first John chapter four, verse one. One John four, verse one. Let me see how far I want to go here. Okay. 1 John 4, verse 1. Make sure everyone is there. Okay. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many prophets have gone out into this world. I want you to underline all of verse 4 if you don't have it already underlined. And then I want you to double underline or highlight have gone out. This is not saying that false prophets haven't gone out. This is saying that they're already out there. Okay, so don't sit back and just think that, oh, there's no false prophets out there. They're 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 coming later on. They'll come during the tribulation period, but they're not out there now. They are out there now. Okay, and it says it right there because many false prophets have gone out into the into the world. Verse two, by this, you know, the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. So those people out there that call themselves Christians but don't believe in Jesus Christ. That's not not really safe. Okay, can't call yourself a Christian if you don't believe in Jesus Christ. And it says it right there. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is a, is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. So Jesus just Jesus wasn't just this 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 prophet that, that some people will say, oh, yeah, Jesus was alive. He was. He was a prophet. He was. He, no, he wasn't the son of God. No, this, there's no way. God, God wouldn't have a son. Continue on to verse three. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now or is already in the world. This is not talking about the actual Antichrist that is coming. This is that spirit of Antichrist that operates in the lives of people today that basically denies the existence of Jesus Christ. OK, that's what the, the spirit of Antichrist is not to be confused for with the actual Antichrist. Verse four, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who's in the world. Underline that if you don't have it already underlined. He who is greater than you, he who he who that is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That is a very, very powerful scripture to remember at all times. Okay, it's one that I always pray any time that I'm sick. I pray it over my kids. If I'm sick, I say greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Foul spirit of darkness. That is a, a, a great scripture to have because. If God is abiding in you and you are abiding in him, then that means there's nothing that you can't accomplish. There's nothing out there that you can't accomplish. It doesn't mean it's going to happen instantly. Okay, in this world of instant everything, um, you know, my wife called me the other day. She was at work and uh, there was some police activity around her job. And she called. She said, hey, do you know who the police are looking for, you know, over in this area? I, I, I don't know. I can I can look it up. But that's how instant things are. Just a quick 30 second phone call and then I can run online and I can start doing all sorts of searching and find out what's going on in that area. I don't have to wait for the evening news anymore. Okay, I can find out what's going on over in China right now, standing right up here if I want. I can go right into my iPad, pull up some pull up the web browser there and say, oh, latest news in China. And I can have it like like that. God doesn't work that way. So just because 
things may take a while doesn't mean that he's not in you and that he's not working in you. It doesn't mean that you won't be able to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. It could take some time. Verse five, they are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears uh, he who knows God hears us. He who is who is not of God does not hear us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So the reason why I want to talk about not taking man's word as God's truth is this. A man could get up there and talk about the Bible. The man could get up there and share Holy Spirit revelation and everything like that. All right. But you cannot just believe what's being said just because of the human being in the position that they might have. I don't care what school they graduated from. I don't care what organization they're a part of. I don't care what role they play, how many degrees they have, how eloquently they speak, how well they dress, who they know, how much money they make, how much authority they might have. They are still a human being. And you cannot just take man's word as gospel. Okay? In the world, they even say it. They say, oh, that, that don't, don't take that as gospel because that's not, that's not truth. I know someone, um, someone that I used to work with told me that in, in a place of business they worked, they actually had this saying. They said, in God we trust, all else, everyone else bring data. So in essence, it was saying that the only truth that we're going to believe is truth that comes from God. If you're not God coming to me, then you better bring some data to support your, to support your, your, um, your, your stance on a particular subject. But too many times as Christians, what is happening is we say, I heard this word in this church. I heard this word from this person. I heard this word from that person. I heard this word from this loved one. And therefore, it must be true. This person graduated with a 4.0 from this college and has a master in divinity and this and that and all these things. So what they're saying must be true. And that's not the case. If you're going to listen to that, then what you are doing is you are basically showing the spirit world that I'm a fake believer. I'm a fake Christian. And why do I say that? Because when times get tough. You won't know the word well enough in your spirit to be able to deal with the situation. When the devil comes to attack you, you will be spouting off words, but not because you believe them and you know what they mean, but because you heard somebody else say it. Who was the one that, that was possessed and, and the demon told him, Paul, I know Jesus, I know, but who are you? You start parroting and repeating things that other that you've heard other people say. And I've seen people do this and they will do it over and over. They will say the same scripture over and over and over again. But then when you get into a next a next deeper part of that conversation, they go back to that original scripture and that scripture has no application to that conversation. Why? Because they heard somebody else say it or they will say it, And I've seen this happen in the workplace with or, or, or non-religious things or not not things of God is where they will come forward and say, the director of this or the chief so-and-so of this or Dr. So-and-so said this and then they go ahead and give their stance as if just because that person said it, it holds more weight than anything else. So you cannot just sit there and think that just because a man is saying something or a woman is saying something that is calling themselves a child of God, that you don't need to actually go and do the research and test the spirits and make sure that it actually is of God. Because as, as, the, as we saw in, uh, what was it, in verse 6 there, by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. People make mistakes. It could be a spirit of error that's forcing them to do, or not forcing them, but it's driving them to do it consistently. Or it could just be an honest mistake. And you have to know the difference between the two. I've certainly been in churches and, he and have heard uh, powerful men and women of God talk about the Bible. And they'll say something, I'm like, uh, that, doesn't quite, nah, that doesn't quite sound right. And I take it back to God, I'm like, Lord... Help me. What am I missing here? What, what, what am I missing? 
And he'll say, oh, no, they just made a mistake. Here's what this actually means. And then they go there next time and then, OK, they're on point. So they just made a mistake in that moment, because even though they are being driven by Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit is not going to make you mouth the words that he's trying to say. So the person, if they if they're not listening to what Holy Spirit is saying and they use their own words, it could be an actual mistake. And those things type of things happen. But if we have God in us and we are actually reading scripture for ourselves and we're studying for ourselves and we're meditating on the word of God so that we can learn it, we'll know the difference between a simple mistake versus someone that is purposely trying to mislead and, and deceive. Okay, so we can't just take man's word. As God's truth, we have to put the work in to be able to see, all right, Lord, is this really of you or is this of some man? We can't just we can no longer just 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 and I'm not sure why I'm saying on this, but. There are false prophets out there and not every false prophet is at the pulpit. You could have false prophets in your inner circle. Your false prophet could be. Your husband could be your wife. It could be a child that's old enough to know the Bible and and study the Bible that is is going to try to 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 hit you with scripture. That's that's inaccurate. It could be anybody. It's not just people that are standing at a pulpit or that are just head of churches. There are false prophets out there on many occasions. Okay, Um, There are people out there that will call themselves Christians. That are in the process of infiltrating churches to teach them things about the Bible that is supposed to be truth, but it's not actually truth. Okay, and I'll just flat out say it. There are people in certain communities, LGBTQ community, that are calling themselves Christians and are getting into churches and saying that I used to be like you, believing that God says that that marriage is between one man and one woman. I used to be there. I used to hear this from the pastor. I used to hear from this and I used to hear from my family members. And they start doing this in a way to try to connect with the audience. And then they will turn around and say, well, that here's why that's not true. And the way they say it and the way they write these papers or the way they talk about scripture, if you got Holy Spirit in you, you'll see it from a mile away. Because they try to make very, very convincing arguments. So if you're going to sit there and say that this individual who has done this great work in these churches and, and done all of this awesome stuff with the LGBTQ community, is, it says that, that, that two men could be married or that two women could be married. If you're going to just take that as gospel and not check it with the Bible, you are going to allow yourself to be, to be, to be, um, to be persuaded into, a, into something that is ungodly. The Bible says that the very elect may be, may be deceived. So if you're going to listen to that and you're not checking the word of God to see what does the Bible actually say about that, you will allow you could allow yourself to be deceived. So test the spirits. Again, in order to really, 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 really serve God, we have to stop. We have to get off the sidelines and get into the game, so to speak. We have to stop standing and just watching as everyone else does does things with God and gets a deeper relationship with God and actually seek God to have that relationship, to learn about what he wants our role to be in his kingdom and in, and in the body of Christ. And the three ways we can do that is we can ask God to how do we use our gifts that he's given us to serve him. Don't let anyone or anything keep you from serving God. And on that, understand that you don't need anybody's permission to serve God. Amen. You don't need anyone's permission to serve God. And the last one, stop taking the words of man as God's truth and test the spirits. Amen. All right. I hope this message has been a blessing to you. Now let's prepare to honor God with our tithes and offerings.